Well, good morning again, everyone. Great to see all of you online. Glad that you are with us right now as well. Hey, a uh, long time ago, when I was a youth pastor, I took our high school students on a one-day adventure, kind of an exercise, called the Journey of Life. And I had prearranged all these different visits with these different locations, and then we piled into a bunch of vans, and the students had uh, these instructions. You have a journal, and in that journal there's some verses and some other instructions, and uh, we're going to go to these sites and basically be silent through this whole exercise, except when we're interacting with people on the site that we're at. And so we took off. And the first place we went to was a nursery to hospital. And just got to look through the windows and look at the little kids and, you know, little babies and stuff. And then after that, we went over to an elementary school. And we basically were a bunch of yard duties, okay? Got to play with the kids and hang out with the kids and just, you know, observe little, little kids having fun at school. And then after that, we went to a high school. And we just kind of stood outside and watched and observed the difference between what the kids acted like and the teenagers acted like and made those observations. And then we fast-forwarded and went to a business district uh, in downtown area and just sat back and watched the hustle and bustle downtown and watched people doing their thing, you know, working. And then after that, uh, we went to a mall and we spread out and just kind of watched people and families shopping and doing their thing. And then after that, we went to an elderly care home and we served and interacted with the residents and spent some time there. And then after that, we went to a morgue and uh, we met the staff in the front office and they took us through a guided tour through the back where the bodies were and we went to the morgue. And then after the morgue, uh, we went to the cemetery. Told the kids, just take your journals, go, go look at the tombstones. Go see how long people lived and how short they lived and what people said about them on the epitaph and all that kind of stuff. And then um, think about what's after this moment, after the tomb, after the grave. And then we sat down and we said, basically, you know, here were your instructions. Observe, journal. Right now we're going to share some of the insights and thoughts that we had from this moment. And then reflect on choices that you need to make and changes you need to make in your life because of this experience. So it was a very profound experience. I still remember it very starkly and so did the students. Of all the places we went to, which place do you think had the most impact? Any guesses? It was the morgue. It was the morgue. Cemetery probably close second. So it was the morgue. Why is that? Because, you know, this wasn't CSI. This wasn't a TV show. This was reality. And in that room with those bodies, the difference between the living and the dead was so stark. It was just the sobering reality that life and death are real and also the living act nothing like the dead. The living act nothing like the dead. You know, the Bible teaches that before we know God, we are dead in our sins. But when we hear about Jesus and we come to Christ, He gives us life. He gives us true life. And He takes us from the old self, which is dead, to the new self, which is alive. The problem, though, is, is as, as people who don't know Christ, you don't see yourself that way in the, time, in the moment. You, it's the hindsight. You go, oh my gosh, I was dead, right? The old self was dead. And then the danger is, as you are in Christ, and you know, this is what most of us are probably experiencing here, is as you live new in Christ, there are days when the old self wants to call you back to the grave and wants old patterns of thinking and old patterns of behavior to come back, to become the norm. But here's the reality whether it's a physical understanding or a spiritual understanding, the living and the dead act different. 
And just as the physically dead and the um, physically alive act different, the, the spiritually dead and the spiritually alive act different as well. And that's why the good news, the gospel, is so important to us. And so we've been going through the series, the, the essential gospel. And the gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ. This understanding that Jesus lived a life we could never live. He died the death that we should have died. And he rose from the grave to give us new life, right? To be truly alive, new life now, and eternal life to enjoy God forever in the future. This gospel frees us from the old self when we place our faith in Christ. But we need to live new. And I love that our mission statement as a church is to invite people to new life in Christ, this new life that God has for us. And so we're going to dive back into the Bible with this understanding. We're going to return to a book that we've been in for the last few months called Ephesians. So open up your Bibles or your Bible apps to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to be in chapter 4 today. And those of you who are guests or maybe you haven't been in church in a while, um, if you're not aware of this, Ephesians was written by a man named Paul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. It was written under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And he penned this letter to a bunch of Christians in the first century who lived in northern Greece in a town known as Ephesus. And all these people came out of a pagan background. And, and now they were learning to live new in Christ. Uh, that old self who worshipped false gods to the new self who's worshiping Christ. And we see how different the life is today. And my goal, my goal and hope for us today is that if you don't know Christ, that what you're about to see in here is going to be so compelling to your heart that you realize, I just, I need to give my life to Christ. If God loves me that much and God has this new life for me, why, why would I not give my life to Christ? And for those of us who are believers to be renewed in our appreciation, renewed in our understanding and gratitude for what Christ has done in our life in such a way it keeps us striving and living that new life that God has for us. So with that, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start with verses 17 and read through uh, verse 24. Here we go. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, right? This isn't his opinion, it's in the Lord. This I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you how you use your word to speak to our minds, our hearts, our wills. God, I pray right now for any man or woman or boy or girl that doesn't know Christ, that's never made that decision to follow Jesus, that today what they see would finally push them over the edge and they would surrender their life to Christ. And for those of us who've made that decision, those of us who are in Christ, that today you would renew our gratitude and you would renew our motivation uh, for the new life that you have given us through Jesus. So God be with us as we unpack this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So as you look at this text, the, the first thing we see here is don't walk like the Gentiles do. What does that mean? Well, walk basically means live. It means the, the path that your life is on. And so when we walk, we put one step in front of another on a course or a destination. And so it basically means to live your life, the course of your daily living. Do not walk as the Gentiles do. Now, the super technical term for Gentile, we know, is, is, is a non-Jew, anyone who's not Jewish. But also, the Bible uses the word Gentile to refer to, it's a, it's a term to relate to those who don't know God. They're outside the faith community. They don't know Christ. And so they're without God in their life. So basically, those of you who are in Christ don't live like those who don't. The, the, the living don't act like the dead. So don't, don't walk and act like, talk like, speak like those who don't know the Lord. And then he unpacks these descriptions. And first, he, he describes the old self. He describes the life of a person who doesn't know God, who is dead in their sin. Look again at verses 17 through 19. After saying, don't walk as the Gentiles do, he says, in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. God just paints a picture of the life without God. The first thing you see there is futility of mind. And the word futility, by the way, means void of purpose. It's pointless. The way you think, the mind is pointless. There's not really an understanding of the world around us. It's being um, intelligently unproductive. I, I read a theologian who put it this way. It's not that unbelieving minds are empty. They're just filled with things that lead to nothing. Or sometimes we can say, it's not that unbelieving minds are empty. They're just filled with things that don't really matter for eternity or for the long haul. And we've all been there. And we have loved ones that are there now. So this is this futility of the mind, which by the way, the mind here is not just the brain. There is an emphasis here on understanding and, and knowledge and, and the mind in that context, but the mind is also a reference to the whole being. The mind, the heart, the will, they're all, they're all interconnected. And so we see that in the Bible when we hear about the heart and the mind. It's a reference really to all of us inside and how we think and process and how we determine to act from the inner person. So we have this futility of mind. Also, the person who doesn't know God or the old self is darkened in their understanding, which means there's an absence of spiritual truth and light from God that results in a shallow and superficial knowledge. Here's what's crazy. You can be super smart and yet not really know the true meaning of anything. Like, like we all know brilliant people like incredibly brilliant people, smarter than like multiple people put together, right? Who don't know Christ. But see, what they, what, what they don't need is more explanation about God. What they don't need is more information about God. They need illumination, not explanation. And so that's why when we think about and pray about our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, when we think about the people who don't know Christ in our life, we pray that God will shine his light into the darkness, that he will illuminate the darkness to bring understanding. Because they don't necessarily just need more content, more information. They need God to turn on the lights of their heart, open their eyes, and, and peel back the blindness that's in them. But there's this darkness in there. Also, we see this person's alienated from the life of God. And this is just a heartbreak. 
Because this is where you kind of see the blind leading the blind. And you see, and this is where we were before we knew Christ, chasing after the world's offerings, the crumbs that the world has to offer us, looking for satisfaction, when God has laid out this feast that will give us the peace, the purpose, the identity, everything that we long for, God's provided in Christ. But, but this person is alienated from that life of God. They're spiritually separated from God. And so all that God has to offer, they are removed from. They're not there. And even though many people can live good lives, doing good things, if God and eternity are not taken into consideration, what is really gained? What if you live your entire life not knowing God, doing great stuff? When you leave, what's going to happen? Well, either what you've done is going to be forgotten, or someone's going to undo whatever you did, or you, you gave humanity a gift that's going to help while we're here on earth, but once we're gone, it doesn't matter anymore. It just doesn't matter anymore. Eternity's not in the mix. God's not in the mix. And so we're alienated from the, the things of God. It's just the things of earth. And then we see here that there's an ignorance. There's an ignorance here. You know, it's amazing. We live in a world with excess information, yet we know so little. There was a time when a lot of us actually had multiple phone numbers memorized. <laughs> and now it's Siri, call, fill in the blank, right? Hey, what's your son's phone number? Oh, I don't know. Just say Siri, call Cruz. It'll, 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 it'll work, right? No. So, so we, we are surrounded with excess information, but there's this ignorance of spiritual awareness, of spiritual insight and true wisdom that comes from knowing God's truth. And this ignorance, by the way, is a willful ignorance. It's that God has shown up, but you're just not interested. God has made himself known, you just don't care. And so that ignorance spins you into a downward spiral of more darkened thinking and futility of mind. It's this ignorance. And the further you get away from God, the more darkened and ignorant and alienated you become leading to some of what we see on this list. Also, we see this hardness of heart. And I would, I would couple that up with a callousness as well. When we see people who are hard of heart, who are callous, they have lost sensitivity. And the crazy thing here is how the sword cuts both ways. On one hand, you are now desensitized to shame and conviction. The things that should make you feel bad that we do or say or think, don't. And at the same time, you become desensitized to hope, like the very thing you hope for. And so you just become apathetic, and you're desensitized, and, and you're not responsive to God. When God nudges, when God moves, you're like, I'm just apathetic, I'm not feeling it, I don't want it. This is a picture of this callousness. It's a stubborn rejection of God and His truth. It's a moral, spiritual apathy that starts to set in. And then you see these people are given over to sensuality. When we talk about sensuality, the word literally means unrestrained lust, especially in the area of sexual sin. And so being given over to sexuality means you crave it. You want unrestrained lust in your life. It means you have dedicated your life to pursuing pleasure especially sexual pleasure in immoral ways. And what happens then is when you have been given over to sensuality, and here's, here's what's the crazy thing, you become a slave to your cravings. 
Some of us know, exact, know, know exactly what that's like. You become a slave. And the crazy thing is you think you're free. You think you can control it. You think you're in charge, but your cravings, your sinful nature, your flesh is dominating you. Somehow in your mind, you flipped it to think, oh, I got this, when really <laughs> your flesh is going, no, I got you. And so you're given over to the sensuality. And then greedy. This greed is this consumed nature with more. I want bigger. I want better. I want newer. I want shinier. I want what you have. In fact, I want more than you have. And it becomes this insatiable desire to just have more, bigger, newer, better. I, I, wanna, you know, I want all this. This greed kicks in. And what happens is you end up living a life of chronic dissatisfaction chronic dissatisfaction and unending emptiness. You're grabbing at everything your flesh wants, you're grabbing at everything in the world, saying, oh, take this, take this, take this, have this, have that, and you'll be better, and you realize it never really satisfies. Temporary hit of satisfaction, gone. That's it. Momentary moment where it makes me happy, and then it's old. This is this life of, of greed, and not just greed, but greed for practicing immorality. And we're not talking about having an immoral moment. Look, we are fallen, broken people that wrestle with sin that will fail. But when we come to Christ, instead of being people who are dominated by failure and sin and sensuality, Jesus flips the scale. Where we still have moments of failure. We still have moments of struggle. We battle. But we're not dominated by this immorality. But for the person without God... They, they learn to, to give into this and they practice. They are a practitioner of immorality. It means like you sin like it's your job and you don't feel bad about it and you invite others into it and, and you like others to affirm your sinfulness. And so really you start to live a life where you don't say no to what's immoral. You just don't. And what happens is that life becomes a life that we live trying to please Ourself rather than please God. It's a life where we live as we please, not as God commands. And that's because we're corrupt. We see that word in this text. Sin has corrupted us. It's distorted our nature. Uh, it's spiritual, moral corruption working itself through us that leads to pride and resisting God. And it's a life about deceitful desires. It's so strange about desire. Desire has been given to us by God. We should desire God. We should desire goodness. Uh, married people need to desire their spouse. Uh, children and parents need to desire to, to love and connect and be one of those. Siblings should desire to have a strong connection. Like the desires are good. You know, desiring food, all these things are good, but then there's a threshold we cross where desire becomes lust and it becomes a pursuit for our life. And the whole time, these are deceitful desires, meaning they're lying. They're tricking you. The world is trying to tell you if you have more of whatever, you'll be better, happier. If I can just have more money, more possessions, more accomplishments, more highs, more popularity, it all seems so appealing, but once you grab a hold of it, it's empty. And what's so sad is we see all these people going, if I can just get more likes, if I can just get more people watching me, if I can just become some sort of popular celebrity, if I can just have the wealth of the world, I'll be happy. Billionaires are sitting in offices of therapists every day. Deceitful desires. This is the life of a person without God. God just painted this picture of a life without him or a life disconnected from him. Enter the gospel. 
That's the beauty of the gospel, the good news. That Jesus rescues us, frees us, releases us from this life of the old self, this life without God, and gives us new life. And when we have that, we start to make a break from our old life because the old and the new can't coexist and the dead and the living don't act the same. That's what Jesus has freed us up to. Now, as you think about all that, what I've said, just a personal reflection moment here. When you look at all of these items and you look back um, before when you knew Christ, before you knew Christ, which one did you feel the most? I know some of you just want to take a pen and circle the whole box, right? It's true of us. But there was probably one especially, you know, like, I really felt that one. Just take a, like three seconds to just say thank you to God in your heart. Like, God, thank you for rescuing me from that. God, thank you for freeing me from that one. And if you don't know Christ yet, maybe there's one that stands out to you. Like, man, I'm really struggling with that right now. This is real time. Well, if you're not a follower of Christ yet, Jesus is going, oh, I can free you from that. I can rescue you from that if you give me a chance. And for those who might be believers going, I still feel like I'm struggling, it just means you're not walking in your new life. You're still trying to have one foot in each world. You can't. But then this free moment comes, our conversion, our salvation in Christ frees us from this. Look again at verses 20 and 21 of Ephesians 4. He says, but, don't you love that? He painted this ugly picture, and then one of our favorite words in the Bible, but, <laughs> that is not the way you learned Christ. And there's an exclamation point there, right? This is emphatic. It's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. When you came to Christ, you, you learned Christ. Here's the thing. This is an ongoing mentorship with Jesus as he lives in you when you surrender your life and believe in Jesus. We can grab a history book and read about somebody and not actually know them. It says here, you learned Christ. It doesn't say you learned about Christ. It's you, you're learning Christ, which means he's teaching us right now. Like Jesus is always with you going, yes, 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 no, no, no. How about this? Not that. He's always speaking through the Spirit, right? And so we're learning Christ, and we learn from him by surrendering and obeying and praying and getting to God's word, getting to know him better each day. And we're, we're united to Christ. We're one in him. And so we learn Christ. And that all began when we heard about Christ. There was a moment in time where you first heard. Now, maybe you didn't respond to Jesus the first time you heard, but at some point in time, you heard it enough where you go, I believe in Christ. You admitted you were a sinner, you believed in Jesus, and you committed your life to follow him. This could happen the first time you hear the gospel, the first time you hear about Jesus, or it could be you know, much further down the road. There's a, there's a partner we have in ministry who works in Indonesia on the island that we've adopted. And she said that she heard the gospel at least 100 times before she came to faith. It's 100 times. <laughs> Some of you think, I'm like, I thought I was a slow learner, you know? That was God's timing. But at some point you heard about Christ. You heard that Jesus is God, that Jesus is God the Son, that he lived that perfect life, he died on the cross for our sin, all the stuff that's in that other box, God has to punish that. He's not going to turn a blind eye, and we can't work it off. So God's wrath is aimed at us, his punishment's aimed at us because of that. But Jesus stepped in on the cross and satisfied God's justice for all those aspects of our old self. Jesus died in our place. He's the way we get right with God. And then 
the people whose lives are dominated by what was in that old box who killed him are like, we're done with Jesus. Put him in the grave. We're done. <laughs> On the third day, Jesus kicked open the grave and said, not so fast. And rose from the grave. We're going we're gonna to really worship that in a couple weeks, right? On Easter. And then he, is, he, he, is, he walked around appearing live, resurrected, and then he ascended to heaven. And he's coming back one day. There's going to be a moment when you hear about Christ and you're moved to belief. And you have to put your trust in the Lord. You heard about that and you responded. And then from there you're being taught in Christ. This whole concept of being taught in Christ means that yes, God did a supernatural transformation in your life when you let Jesus in, but now there is still a degree of human responsibility for growth. We are responsible to still grow, get into God's word, spend time in prayer, to live a life of abiding with Christ and obeying and surrendering to Christ. Do you know how you grow and learn in Christ? You abide with Christ, you surrender to Christ, you obey Christ. You know what's so hard about growing in Christ? Abiding in Christ, surrendering to Christ, obeying Christ. But we're still responsible to learn from our teacher as we become more like Christ. And then this truth in Christ reigns in our life here. Truth in his word, truth in his identity. Jesus is truth. He's not a truth, he's the truth. And so when you think about this conversion salvation moment, just a just pause here for the personal uh, interaction. When did that happen for you? When did that happen for you? And, and who did God use as part of that moment? Were you a kid? Were you an adult? Is it today? Was it a parent? Was it a friend? Was it a special person that was teaching at the church? Again, you can just take three seconds to go, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for when this happened. Thank you for that person you used or that circumstance that you used to get my attention. And so, so we, we celebrate that. And then once we are in Christ, once we've been converted, once we turn to Christ through repentance and receive that salvation for our souls, we get to live in this next box that's built, this new life. This life that's alive in Christ. This is the gospel living. Look again at verses 22 through 24. It says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life that's corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we then are to put off the old self. God gives us. We don't have the ability to do it in our human strength. You have to have Christ in your life to help you put off this old self. And so we understand who Jesus is, what he did for us on his death on the cross, his resurrection, but then this old self gets shed. This new self emerges as a child of God. And now we live a life motivated by gratitude and love toward this God whose goodness and grace we don't deserve, who so loved us like this. And we're going we're gonna to look a bit more next week about some of the detailed ways that that will come out in our life. But we put on this old self through repentance and submission. And then God starts by renewing our mind. This new life, this new self, this aliveness, right, is that we have a renewed mind. You think differently. Repentance is a changing of the mind. Our whole outlook on life, money, relationships, values, purposes, changes completely. When Christ comes in, he renews your mind. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world is trying to shape you into its image, but we are ones who've been created and made in God's image. 
And so the renewing of the mind is so critical to that, and God does that in our life. And so our ideas and our desires are no longer dominated by sin and self, but by Christ in our life. And then you put on the new self. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone, I love that anyone, not like, if hey, if good people, it's like anyone can come to Christ, right? If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's passed away. It's dead. Behold, the new has come. This new self is not like the old self, the dead self. This new self is satisfied in Christ. Jesus is soul satisfying. And he breaks that life of chronic discontentment and perpetual emptiness, and he's life giving to us. And he turns our greed into generosity, and he turns our lust for more into contentment. And he makes us more sensitive and responsive to God's conviction of sin and his nudges of truth. Uh, we've been, uh, have a recommended read this quarter called Above All, The Gospel Above All. And we've been using the companion study guide in our life groups, right? And so the, the pastor and author of that book says it this way. He says, your heart is changed when the spirit of God uses the story of God to make the love of God come alive in our hearts. That's what it means to put on the new self. But you can't put on the new self until you get rid of the old self. Think about how important that is. Like all of us know what it's like to come home from work, like just a, just a grungy day at work, or maybe working in the yard or a big workout, and your clothes are dirty, they are smelly, they are nasty, and you take them off, you get in the shower and you're cleansed, right? And then you get out of the shower. Think about how terrible it would be to put on those nasty old clothes again. See, some of you are laughing because you've done that. That kind of concerns me. In fact, I saw you whisper to him, which means he's probably done that. So, okay, it's concerning. We all know how, how, how crazy that would be. No, we, we put on something new and fresh and, oh, it feels so good. But do you realize that when Christ comes into our life, and we, don't, we resist the renewing of his mind and we resist that. It's like letting Christ wash us. He's got a new outfit for you, but you go back and put the old nasty, stinky, sweaty, smelly stuff on. The living and the dead don't act the same. They don't have anything in common. And just as we don't want to ever go back to our old, stinky, nasty, smelly, sweaty, dirty clothes, we should never want to go back to the old, stinky, sweaty, smelly, sinful self. I'm going to tell you right now, one of the biggest factors of that in your life is who you surround yourself with. Your closest friends will be the biggest influence on that in your life. And the reason some of you are struggling as Christians to live the new life is because God's given you a new life, but you've attached your heart to a bunch of people who don't have new life, they're the old life. God's given you new life, but all your relationships are dead. And just how weird it would be that during that journey of life exercise I did with those students, if all of a sudden we were hanging out through, all of a sudden we were going through the morgue, I'd just say, hey, let's just stop here and hang out for a while. Let's just spend a few hours in the morgue. Hey, anyone got cards? Anyone got sodas? Like we're laughing and chuckling in a weird way because like that would be, that'd be twisted. That'd be really morbid. That'd be, that'd be so off. Look, we need to have connections with our friends and family that are dead in sin and need Christ because they need us to pray for them and love on them well. But if your dating relationships and your closest friendships are dead people and you're alive, good luck. 
good luck. You've got to surround yourself with those who are alive and still invest in and encourage and influence those who are dead. God's giving you a new life, and this new life is His likeness of God. This new life is, is something made in the likeness of God. Don't forget, we have been made in the image of the Creator. We have what's called in the Latin the Imago Dei, the image of God. You are made in God's image and His likeness, which means His fingerprints is on, are, are on you, and His character is coming alive in you. And so it says here, it talks about in righteousness and holiness. We know that God is holy. We know that God is righteous. Like none of us wake up. We're not going to wake up tomorrow and wake up and go, I think I'm a pretty righteous person. Pretty holy, in fact. We would never apply those names. We know better. Yet, in Christ, God's holiness, God's righteousness has been given to us in Christ, is made alive in us in Christ, and as we walk with Christ, as we live new in Christ, His holiness, His righteousness comes out, and we reflect the one who made us. We reflect the, the stuff that disturbs you on the news and in your gossip circles or whatever is that people are living reflecting the world, reflecting deadness, reflecting old. When God's given us newness, made in his image, in his likeness, reflecting his righteousness, reflecting his holiness. This is what it means to live new. And I think a very, very, very important part here is look at the way this text weaves God's transformation. It starts with the old person. Their, their, their mind is futile. There's futility of mind. There's darkened understanding, ignorance. Is this outside or inside? Pop quiz, inside or outside? It's inside. And then it works its way out. It's not, this ignorance, this futility of mind, it leads to this giving over of sensuality. Sinning like it's your job. Doing things that are displeasing to God. And then when Jesus comes in, at that moment of, you know, of, of conversion and salvation, does, what's it start with in the text? Does it start with the outside or the inside? It starts with the inside. Renewing of your mind. Right? heart transformation. So you have to understand this new life is not about behavior modification. It's about life transformation. Some of you are struggling because you, you haven't got that yet. You're like, I'm just trying to be a good person and, and once I get a, to be a good person then, then it'll all come online. No. You just have to surrender and let God's work do its thing on the inside. The outside will catch up. It's not behaving right. It's believing right. And God does all the work from there. As you think about that, just personal reflection moment, think about that transforming work. What's one way Jesus has transformed you? What's one of the biggest ways? What's one of the biggest transformations Jesus has made in your life? What did he give you that you didn't have? What did he take away that you no longer have and you're so grateful for it? Just say a three-second prayer of thank you, Jesus, <laughs> for doing that in my life. You know, one of the ways we celebrate this newness, this new life that we just talked about, is through baptism. I hope all of you that know Jesus and love Jesus have been baptized. It's a disconnect from what Jesus has asked us to do if you've not been baptized as a believer. But once you come to that place of surrender to Christ, you realize that baptism is an outward expression of this new life. It's a symbolic representation that the old self has been drowned, right? Put behind you. You've been raised to newness, to true life. 
And we love that. One of the bummers about a church of our size is you don't get to always see everybody's baptisms. But just to kind of bring that to life, there was a baptism we had, you know, a couple weeks ago. And I just want to take one of the baptisms. His name is Kyle. Kyle, if you're here, thank you. If you're online, thank you. Um, I just love the way Kyle simply and very in a raw way laid out what his old life, new life looks like and put it, put it out there for us. So let's, let's listen to Kyle and watch Kyle to understand what we're talking about. The message is very simply uh, for me. In uh, Timothy 15 through 17, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. God came to save people like me, to save an imperfect person and give me eternal life. Knowing that God, even after my acceptance of him, that I will still be imperfect. Um, I'm not a religion person. I'm not into all that. I, I just, God and the Bible. That's what I believe in. Um, I hear a lot of people say that when they got saved, they got washed white as snow. Uh, even though that's true for our sins, like I'm, I still got a lot of dirt on me. So, uh. However, because of God sending Jesus down to die on that cross and raising him from the dead gave people like me, an imperfect soldier for God, the ability to be forgiven of my sin and spend eternity with him. Uh, there's a concept that I hold true to my heart. Um, it's backed up by scripture, so I'm not just making this up, but uh, it's three words and it's Judas 8.2. We all know the story of Judas. We all know what he did. When God walked into that room, he knew he was betrayed. He knew Judas was the one to do it. He knew he was sold out for a bag of silver or whatever they gave him. But even then, he still walked in that room. He prayed with Judas. He fed Judas and he even washed his feet. So like that kind of love is, is unfathomable to me. Like I. I just can't understand how that works but to know then the hard part is we know that we're Judas and so to know if God did that for Judas it's unimaginable what he can do for us so uh still a sinner every day I fall short of God's glory sometimes I drink too much sometimes I say things I shouldn't say think things I shouldn't think uh but however I know when I do do that I know I have someone to run to and I know he's always going to be there. I no longer fear talking about God with other people. No longer fear death. I enjoy sharing my story with others and my thoughts. I realize the importance of God in my life. And I can't explain how I got to where I'm at today. But other than it's just the grace of God. Uh, obviously still have a long, long, long way to go. And uh, I feel like during this baptism I'm on the right path. And that's all this is. This is just me thanking God. Uh, and just giving back to him. I don't know any other way to do it other than this. So this is where we're at. Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my backs. Why do we love that so much? 
We love God's handiwork, don't we? And for those of you who are in Christ, like, that's our story too. Old self, dead, new self, alive. And that's why some of you who don't know Christ need so badly what we're talking about. You're in your dead life, dead sins. But Jesus wants you to make that your old life, for you to surrender to him. What's stopping you? What's holding you back? What are you waiting for? Somebody's like, oh, I, just, I want to be in the right place to be good. Good luck with that. Just let Jesus in. He'll help make you where he wants you to be. And so if you need to do that today, I just encourage you, like I call it the ABCs of faith. A, just admit that you're a sinner. Like, just let down the wall, slay your pride. God, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need you. B, believe. You've got to believe that Jesus is God. You've got to believe that he died on the cross for your sin. And it covers your sin. And you've got to believe that he raised from the grave to give you new life and eternal life. And then see, commit your life to following him. God, I have a lot of questions. I don't know what this looks like, but I'm all in. I'm committed. I look forward to a life of learning, learning Jesus. If you've never done that, just tell God those things. Go ABC. God, I'm a sinner. I believe in Christ. Commit my life to following him. And if you do that, we want to celebrate that with you. And so the best way, the easiest way to do that is just text us the word CONNECT to our response number to let us know you gave your life to Christ. And we'd love to reach out to you and say, here's, here's some steps to grow. Let's celebrate with you. If you can't wait for that or you need a personal connect, find any of us in the foyer on staff and just say, I gave my life to Christ. I want to give my life to Christ. We'd love to help you take that step. And for the rest of us, we should be renewed in our desire to live new. And for some of you, that means there are certain friendships you've got to distance yourself from starting today. There are certain addictions, behaviors, patterns you've got to distance yourself from today. But more importantly, it's time to get into God's Word, into prayer, into the things that feed the soul that makes all those changes possible to live new in Christ. I hope that you take those steps today. Also, I just want to take the moment to say thank you to you CVC family, because these videos of stories, all of our lives, everything you see, it's all because you guys yield and collaborate to God's work. And it's because of your giving here at CVC. It's because of your prayers. It's because of you serving. We get to celebrate all this stuff. So thank you. Be faithful. Continue to be faithful with that. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship. And we're going to worship with one of our favorite songs, I think. This is just, the song just kind of blew up in the Christian community because I think it talks about a little bit what we've discussed today. Death moving to life is impossible. Old being left behind and new coming, that's impossible. But God does the impossible. He makes a way when there doesn't seem to be a way and when there is no way. That's why we call him the way maker. He makes a way when we just don't see it even possible. And we're going to celebrate that. I want to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sing the song, but there's going to be a few times where I come up And I'm going to read some verses that we've seen over the last couple months. Verses that speak to the gospel and speak to God's transforming power. And we're going to celebrate. So during the song, during the reading those verses, I I give you permission to like uncork a little bit, okay? Clap, whistle, amen, sing, shout, (laughs) wave your hands when something that we sing or something that we hear in the word is like, I resonate with that. Because when we live new, we can't help but express the gratitude that we have. So let's stand. Let's worship our Waymaker tonight. You are here. You 
moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. You're working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. Because you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Because you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will in him when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit amen Miracle worker, 
but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. We make a miracle work. Promise keep light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Oh, you are. We make a miracle work. one time you were separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope without God in the world but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth what is the length What is the height? What is the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Sorry.